Cook's house. Okay, tons to talk about from a big homecoming win over USF, like the D-line, the birth of boy, Clayton 10K tune, but was it all good news? Welcome to Locked on Cougs, daily podcast all about your Houston Cougars. I'm your host, Houston-born teacher and coach, Parker Ainsley, here to break down all things Cougs. If you're a U of H fan or just a hater who came to stop by, please be sure to hit subscribe and download the podcast each day of the latest on Cougs all year long. If you're subscribed, our show should pop up on your feed each day, so you can be sure to make Locked on Cougs your first listen of the day. Now, today we got the whole USF homecoming game to break down yesterday talking all things houston cougars first the university of southern florida south florida southern florida the usf bulls in our first segment we're gonna look at what we went right on the offense and how well houston was able to exploit that usf defense on homecoming day in the second segment we're gonna look at what went right on the defense side of the ball for the houston cougars and in the third segment, we're gonna look at what went wrong and what is still giving me some pause on this whole season but let's jump into some offensive helmet stickers or things that went right on the offense and I think the first and most obvious one is the guy who got the game ball on Saturday that's one Clayton Toon or as I've been saying on Twitter Clayton K Toon I can't I can't tell if it's going to take off is it going to take off you think maybe I can't tell how you're shaking it is that positive or negative but Clayton K Toon had 380 yards passing that's his season high this year he threw four touchdown passes and we're saying Clayton K Toon because in the course of the game he became the third University of Houston quarterback to throw for 10,000 yards behind Case Keenum, who's like 19,000, and Kevin Kolb. Now, I think it's also worth pointing out that, like, Kevin Cobb obviously doesn't have, like, the Heisman Trophy, or Case Keenum, like, had a great career but didn't have the Heisman Trophy, and there's also Andre Ware. The interesting conversation then becomes, like, where does the Clayton Toon we've seen for the last five, four and five-ish seasons rank in the all-time pecking order of University of Houston quarterbacks. Well, we can debate that and decide that at a later date. Him passing the 10,000-yard marker certainly feels important to that. Now, I'm going to argue for a guy like Greg Ward having done more on the field than just pass the ball and those kinds of things, or the fact that Case Keenum has 19,000 yards. But for the time being, we need to enjoy the fact that we've got Clayton Toon throwing the ball all over the field, up and down the American Athletic Conference. Clayton Toon had a big, big day because he had the time to throw. He was not under any pressure. It wasn't quite as clean a pocket as it was against Navy, but it was noticeable that whenever Clayton Toon wanted to throw the ball, he had places to drop it off. And, frankly, that when he did not want to throw the ball, he had time and room to scamper for a few yards on his own, like, makeshift draws. I say makeshift draws because he just decides to take off after his third read set open or whatever. But I think that's really, really important. So shout out to quarterback Clayton Toon for all the great work he's done over the course of his career, getting to 10,000 yards, and for a season-high kind of day on Saturday. He saw a vulnerable defense and took advantage like he's supposed to. Another helmet sticker has to go to wide receiver and birthday boy, Tank Dell. Yes, Nathaniel Tank Dell worked the middle of the field to perfection, both on his quick slants, his skinny posts, just a seam up the middle for a 52-yard touchdown. He had 112 yards and two touchdowns on the day. And frankly, in the first roughly third of the game, it looked like they were just not going to be able to cover Tank Dell. That's interesting because the way that it manipulated the offense, or manipulated the defense, I should say, and helped the offense. And so, in looking at a couple things, I first want to give Tank Dell his props because using those rub route concepts and those quick slants and those kinds of things to get him the ball over the middle, that really, really 
is not an easy thing for a guy tank Dell size to do. He's listed at 5'10, a buck 60. I'd imagine he's closer to 5'9, a buck 50 if I'm going to like measure him in like the most unbiased of lights. But, but anyway, he's going across the middle and over the top in these very you know dangerous areas as a smaller guy he's that kind of tough though he's tough as nails we saw it in the memphis game right we talked about that back in the, in the memphis game when he was taking hits and had a bum hip and those kind of things after taking those hips and continue to play through it we know he's that tough a guy and he continued to go over the middle in this game and frankly because they could not cover him and keep him out of the middle after his big it was really more of a, a seam route than a fade route kind of touchdown after that, you saw a noticeable difference in how South Florida was covering him, and all of a sudden he had double and triple coverage, a lot more eyes on him the rest of the way. And that gives us our next set of gold stars, or next set of helmet stickers, goes to Keyshawn Carter, Sam Brown, and Peyton Sawyer, because they're the ones that benefited and took advantage of the way the coverage was manipulated. Between the three of them, they had 228 yards and two touchdowns. Carter and Sawyer had the touchdowns. And I think it's worth pointing out that they all benefited based on where Houston lined up Tank Dell. If Houston lined up Tank Dell next to Keyshawn Carter, Keyshawn knew he had one-on-one coverage. If he lined up next to Sam Brown, he knew that Sam Brown coach knew that Sam Brown was going to get one-on-one coverage. And what's interesting was the coach put all three of them on one side. He then dictated and got one-on-one coverage for Peyton Sawyer on the backside. Now the interesting thing about the one-on-one coverage touchdown that Peyton Sawyer, a wide, I guess I should say all these guys are wide receivers, traditional wide receivers. Peyton Sawyer had his touchdown and one-on-one coverage on the backside against too high and what's interesting is that this corner like way way sat on underneath it I couldn't tell what the cornerback was thinking and then in cover two the safety's supposed to take the deep stuff in the back of the end zone and somewhere in the mix up there the safety did not get far enough back and Sawyer was directly behind him for a beautifully dropped in ball from our guy we talked at the top of the show Clayton Toon and I think it's fascinating to see how a productive first quarter and a half out of Tank Dell a, a productive is underselling it 112 yards and two touchdowns and the majority of it was in that first quarter and a half all of a sudden changes everything about the way that South Florida has to defend the Houston Cougars the other guy I want to give a shout out helmet sticker gold star etc to on the offense was Stacy Sneed so in the Navy game we saw a switch from coach Holgerson from Campbell to Stacy Sneed at running back and suddenly Stacy Sneed's kind of looks more like the guy, not to say that Campbell didn't get in the game at running back. He did have six carries for 25 yards, but Snead had 10 carries for 60 yards and notably two touchdowns. So when they got down the red zone, need to punch scores in. They turn around, hand the ball off to Sna- Stacy Snead. And I think that's important to note because in the Navy game, when he got the nod in the middle of the game at running back, he then had 20 carries and 100 yards. And in this game, he only had 10 carries for 60 yards, which is more yards per carry, actually. But he had the two touchdowns. When it's time to score, Coach Holgerson trusted the running back. And I think it was interesting across the board there. So you look at all those different things and all the different ways that Houston was able to get the ball in the end zone on Saturday. It was all kinds of different ways. Houston was kind of able to pick the way they wanted to poison the South Florida defense. I think it's really, really impressive schematically from what Holgerson's doing because that means he can kind of place his bets in whatever corner he wants to. Right? If he wants to go over the top, he's got Tank Dell up the seam. If they're going to take away the seam, he's got Sam Brown at a corner route. If they want to take all that stuff away on the right side of the field, he's got Peyton Sawyer running a fade on the left side of the field. If they want to take all that away, he's got Stacey Snead up the gut. And if they find somebody to take everything away, he's got Clayton Toon's legs as 
as well. It was a really, really impressive offensive game plan to take advantage of and beat a lesser talented team like they should have. It was a great, great way to start off Saturday, start at 11 o'clock local time on Saturday. It was a great way to start the day, especially if the kind of person likes to place a lot of bets online. Speaking of placing bets online, let me tell you about betonline.net. Bet Online is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. You find all the latest player developments, team matchups, news, podcasts, and other in-depth analysis on every game. And as always, Bet Online remains your continued source for all your sports wagering information and live betting with up-to-minute scores for every sport out there. It's the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your favorite games and events, including Major League Baseball, the Astros in the World Series these days, MMA, boxing, golf, etc. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. Bet Online is where the game starts. And I have to say, while it is a full week away at this point, Houston at SMU. They got SMU favored by two and a half points. You know I'm taking the Cougs in that one. The interesting thing I think in this one is they have the total score set at 66 and a half points. I'm also hammering the over there. I just feel like this is going to be a high, high scoring affair after having watched plenty of American football this season. I feel like both teams could be in the 40s very, very easily. And that 66 number is just too low for my blood. I'm going over. I'm going Houston. I'm taking Houston over the top. They don't have the money line down, but they do have Houston as a two and a half point dog. And so I'm taking the Cougs. And I'm taking them at betonline.net, your number one source for betting football and basketball this season. All right, so offensively, you had wide receiver Tank Dell, who like had his, his, you know, his game of his life on his birthday. You had Clayton Toon putting his name in the record books, breaking ten thousand yard mark. But on offense, I kind of feel like Houston was always going to be much better than USF. On defense last week is where I would have had more questions, right? The defense side of the football is where I was more worried about what things, how things would go. I mean, a year ago, this game was 54-42, to 42, right? And so while Houston did win a year ago, the defense, obviously giving up 42 points to a bad South Florida team, did not play very well. This season, I was kind of worried could be the exact same thing. And admittedly, we've seen moments where, like, for this 11 o'clock start, Houston has not looked awake. However, that's not quite the way things played out on Saturday. I have to say that the defensive line as a whole got after it. That seems to be a theme this season. We give a handout helmet stickers to a lot of guys across Sac Avenue, as they call themselves in the defensive line. However, this might have been the best game of nose tackle Chidozi Dot Nwankwo's career. Now, Dot is a big nose tackle that's known as a block bully. He absorbs double teams. He's not traditionally in the stat book. However, on Saturday, he had six tackles and a sack, and it felt like he was frequently getting triple teamed, let alone the normal double team, and very, very early on forced the South Florida Bulls to run the ball to the edges because he was mucking up all of the stuff in the middle. And that really, really does shift the way that their offensive coordinator can call things because you're starting to make teams more and more one-dimensional when you take away something like running the ball up the gut. Dodd has been a like locker room favorite. The guys have really great things to say about him. And it was really good to see that his play is starting to mirror, that his statistical play, I should say, is starting to mirror what we continue to hear about him from people that break down Houston Cougar film. Pro Football Focus had all of his scores on defensive categories in the 70s. And for what that means to someone who's not maybe not so familiar with the Pro Football Focus stats is they're analytically looking at, is he in the right place in these type of situations more often than not? And that means while getting double teamed and triple teamed and all kinds of, you know, they practice two kind of plays, Dot is in the right place to make a play 
more than 70% of the time in every type of defensive situation he was put in on Saturday. I cannot stress how difficult that is to do. I mean, you see guys, you know, they're starters across the American Conference. Guys that, like, if you're consistently above the 60 to 65 mark, you might make all-conference. Guys that are starting across this league are sometimes in the high 50s, low 60s. That dot is in the 70s across the board is a big, big thing for a nose tackle especially. I also think that these kinds of statistics about where guys are at the right time is when you really start to see these standouts from the rest of Sac Avenue, the rest of the defensive line. Like We all know De'Anthony Jones is like a guy that gets a sack or so a game. He's a big-time pass rusher. But in a again, in a metric where like 70 is good, in the high 60s is kind of passing, De'Anthony Jones had a 90.2 in the pass rushing category on Saturday for Pro Football Focus. When I say that is like all pro first round draft kind of status, I'm not joking. That is crazy, crazy high. Anthony Jones had a phenomenal game putting pressure on the pass. He was also an overall in the 84 percentile on defense. And that's, again, a guy that's like a good, good starter in the American Conference in the low 70s. 84 is very, very strong. Uh, Latrell Bankston had the big, big sack that, while his numbers are kind of more like in line with an average guy, I think it's worth pointing out his sack in that game, Latrell Bankston, another defensive defensive end, uh, he had a, a big, big sack that like had a big pressurized moment. There was kind of this moment where it felt like, oh, USF may come back. USF has a shot at this, and all of a sudden, Latrell Bankston shut that down. But the defensive player of the game might not be from Sac Avenue. It might be defensive back Thabo Mwaniki. Now, Mwaniki, I got to say, had has, I should say, present tense, has 16 solo tackles to his name on the season. And for a defensive back in the Houston defense, when you think about how much, you know, bank, frankly, if you're doing a good job in coverage, your guy probably didn't get the ball that often. And if you think about like how much pressure the defensive line puts on the quarterback, typically for the Houston defense, you might get not, not get that many balls thrown your way all that often. The way that people have been beating Houston is with option run schemes and those kinds of things. So 16 solo tackles would feel like a fairly good number on as a whole, right? But eight of those 16 came in the South Florida game. I don't know what it was about them schematically. I thought they could pick on Moniki. But as a defensive back, you think maybe, you know, he's not the best tackler or he's a corner. He's kind of a nickel guy. I don't know what they're thinking there, but he had a tremendous, tremendous game. He had those eight solo tackles as a part of four others. Uh, He also, was worth pointing out, one of those others was a tackle for loss on a screenplay, which he charged forward. Uh, Mwaniki also, for looking at the pro football focus, kind of the analytical stats, scored, again, when a score in the the low 70s, high 60s is good for the American Conference, he had an 89.6 in coverage, meaning he was in the right place covering the right guy in 89.6 89.6 of the snaps. That's a lot of snaps. You can say, like, in that other 10% window, you might have a guy like Nelson Caesar barreling down the quarterback's face. That's a very, very impactful game on the defensive side of the football. And I think it's worth pointing out, this is not like a name that we're used to thinking of giving to a bunch of helmet stickers to on this season. I mean, he's got one pick and one forced fumble. You think of DBs and turnovers. That's not a ton, right? We think of, like, a big tackler, maybe someone who comes downhill on it. Again, he's, he's got 29 total tackles on the season that's not a not a big tackle. maybe he's a sure tackler no he's just got those 16 solo tackles this was just like the game of his life in a lot of ways and so i want to make sure we give the appropriate shout out to Thabo Waniki. there's an incredible 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 day for the senior db on homecoming i think all those things kind of tied together to make a big big day for Thabo Waniki. so 
if it's not fair to like leave the linebackers out of this because like the D-line got a great amount of pressure and then we mentioned Moniki on the back end. I think we got to give some shout out to Tremarcus Cheeks. Now, Tremarcus Cheeks is the linebacker that in whatever for whatever reason, he got stuck in coverage a lot on Saturday and he wasn't necessarily in charge of covering Batie, but he was certainly one of the guys out there in coverage while Batie was out there. And Batie is the kind of running back that can really, really, running back for South Florida, I should say, that can really, really make linebackers look silly in coverage. However, Tremarcus Cheeks had a very, very good day in coverage. Again, if we're looking at pro football focus stats, things where people in the high 60s, low 70s are considered good, he was in the high 70s on all of his different coverage type of snaps. I think it's worth pointing that means he's in the right place at the right time on more than like 78% of his plays. That's a good, good sign out of your Mike linebacker, especially when Tremarcus Cheeks is not necessarily known as a coverage type of middle linebacker. He's frequently much more seen as the like run stopper, the like plug plugging holes and that kind of guy up the gut. That's really more of what Marcus Cheeks does and what's more his bag. However, that's not necessarily what he was asked to do on Saturday, and he did a great job in coverage. So if we're going to make sure we shout out kind of each level of the defense, we got to look at making sure we shout him out there. And this is typically the part when, like, shout out the special teams and those kind of units because I think they don't get enough love. However, Houston only had a couple of punts. They were, I guess, made all the extra points. They didn't need to kick a bunch of field goals. It was kind of a mundane day out of the special teams unit. I mean that in the best way possible after having games where they were uh, not so mundane, including like last year's game against South Florida. It was just kind of a normal day against the South Florida special teams unit for the University of Houston. And so I'm going to take that as a big, big victory for the Cougs. <laughs> all right. Now with so much going right the Houston Cougars in the Saturday football game with the USF Bulls and with all these things right on homecoming day and it being the 11 o'clock kickoff that we were all worried about and it being one of those kind of lull you to sleep kind of games before we play SMU the next week I feel like there's plenty of reason to be like oh 42 to 27 that's a great great win for the Cougs let's move on however if you know me, you know I'm a little bit more pessimistic than that. And there was still some stuff that came up in the game on Saturday that I had a little bit too much trouble with. For one, they still had a lot of trouble with Batie in the first half, especially in the first quarter when we knew he was coming in as a dangerous running back that we'd seen his speed a year ago. I don't understand how he's the kind of guy that we're still having trouble with at this point in the Hogerson experience. We just saw him do this to us a year ago. We had a lot of trouble with him specifically off the left tackle. Uh, it wasn't necessarily like power pull kind of, kind of stuff, but it was very interesting to see that they ran off tackle more zone plays. They're not pullers or anything like that. But what they basically did was it just kind of looked like because Houston's D-line is so good, what they were doing was they were just kind of reading the tackle's butt. If the tackle blocked him out, Batie went inside. If the tackle was able to scoop him and block him back in, then the Batie went just outside of him. And they were making second and third level guys make tackles. That was a really, really smart system. I just can't believe that Houston couldn't adjust, right? Last week, we had Will Turner on to talk about previewing the USF Bulls, and he mentioned that a lot of Batiste's work had been done to the offensive left side. Well, why can't Houston, in the middle of the first drive, dial something up that makes that a harder run? Either, you know, send gap defense across the board with, like, blitzing that way so you plug all the gaps ahead of time, maybe pull the safety down on that side of the field to get another body in the box, or just something different to suddenly make that a little bit more difficult or at least make him think about doing something else uh, he did you know but he did have 106 yards and two touchdowns while most of that was early that's the kind of offensive running back play that our defense doesn't typically 
give up. And frankly, I wouldn't expect us to give up to a one and seven team. <laughs> like that's that's not the kind of thing that I think the Houston Cougars want to hang their hat on is giving up 106 yards and two touchdowns to the running back on a one and seven team, especially when you pack ran like at some point they had to stop running the football, right? And so that meant that they were just going to give it to him less because Houston's offense had scored a fair amount. And that's not, I guess maybe offense is the best defense. I'm getting a nod there. So maybe that's the strategy. I'm not, I'm not sure. Speaking of offense and it being the best defense and those kinds of things, the other thing that worried me about this is this was a game against another backup quarterback for the Houston Cougars. We all remember the Tulane game, which Houston actually technically was playing the third string quarterback Houston got to play the South Florida second string quarterback Contravious Marsh and you know as our second string quarterback I'm left wondering they put up 27 points it's 42 to 27 that's that's only 15 point differential what does it look like with Gary Bohannon running the traditional South Florida offense out there like what is what does that look like for the South Florida Bulls I I just I don't know if like I don't know what to make about our defense versus constantly playing backups. Like, yes, you have less film, so you have less way to prepare, and you have to kind of make a lot more in-game adjustments because you have less film on the backup quarterback because the backup quarterback has less game time to have film of. I get all of that. I get the logistics of that. And I get how, frankly, you hear in the NFL, especially when, like, film is king, you hear people talking about how, like, the young quarterback, the backup quarterback, etc., really has a rough, like, third or fourth game out the gate because the first and second game, people don't necessarily know what to expect. And I think that could be some level of what's happening with Houston playing these backups. However, 27 points is a lot, and Gary Bohannon and the dual threat, the guy that he is, that offense is much more explosive with him and probably scores one or two more touchdowns with him in the game than they do with Contravious Marsh. And frankly, I would argue that they didn't necessarily maximize quarterback Contravious Marsh either. They didn't seem to believe in his decision-making much. They gave him a lot of one-read kind of options. He ran the ball a lot in the first half, and they frankly didn't let him show off this arm strength that we'd kind of heard about leading up to the football game. But over the course of the game, and maybe people are going to tell me that this is really great defense out of Houston, but it seemed like to me a lot of Marsh's throws were all mesh-type concepts. Low, short throw, hopefully for long game kind of concepts. And I have to say that that's just not the read we were getting both from Will Turner last week, from Coach Belk last week, or, or from anyone talking about this guy coming in. Because frankly, while he is a backup, there was a little bit of stuff out of him from early in his career. And everyone obviously can go back and look at like what were they good at coming out of high school and those kinds of things. And I just... I have to say that, you know, had they let him air it out, we might have been in a world of hurt, right? Or had they let him make more complex decisions, we might have been in a world of hurt. Or had we not been his first game as a starter, we might have been in a world of hurt, right? The idea of this backup quarterback thing being a two-score game, 15 points, that's just not something I'm necessarily comfortable with. Now, I think I can already hear the people on Twitter telling me that it was really a three-score game until near the end when Houston let in a final touchdown. However, if they'd had the two scores earlier in the game, that final touchdown could have been one to tie it up, right? That I still feel comfortable saying that like the Houston energy level was one of a two-score game, even if it ended up being a two-score game because of a late, late touchdown. I also feel like we're talking about energy level and like why are we playing so poorly against a backup quarterback on a bad team and and those kinds of things and one thing I'm worried about is we can't seem to find a way to integrate that up-tempo offense and that spark that we all 
want to see and we've identified is what make the Houston offense run, right? We've seen it at the end of the Memphis game, which kind of started this whole, you know, getting back in the right track. We saw it briefly in spurts against Navy, but bluntly we didn't need it against Navy. And I kind of thought that like when Houston drove down the field and scored right away in this one, we might see it at various points in the course of this game, but we didn't have any NASCAR or full speed, no huddle, aired out kind of sets or any aired out kind of no huddle drive. And I just I just don't get why tempo and speed is not something Houston's using. Now, I think the contrarian will be like, well, Parker, I do have to say that, yes, they didn't go up tempo in that sense, but they did score there, you know, in the first drive and they scored in the third drive, scored in the fourth drive, scored in the fifth drive and so on. But I, I just, I don't know that that's enough for me and I don't mean to say like I need more scoring because obviously you can't score more I need to put more pressure on the defense especially when I'm seeing a bad defense like the USF defense now does USF have speed yes they've got real deal Florida speed but they are one and seven now and their one win is against Howard I'm not sure this is the best test and that Houston still in moments was like Ugh, does not make me feel great speaking of not making me feel great the last negative I'll tie into this game is that the penalty bug is back. Specifically, Houston had 10 penalties for 95 yards. This is their fifth game with 10 or more penalties in just eight games played. That's not a good thing. That's frankly a very bad thing. They're going to continue to lead the league in penalties, meaning lead all of NCAA Division One, I, I should say, in penalties and that to me when we talk about you know in the first part of the season we're like oh man what's the deal with Holgerson can we can we keep Holgerson going to the Big 12 and all those kinds of things the penalties are, are actually some of the best evidence for like him not being the guy and and I'm not saying that I'm opposed to Holgerson unless you present me with someone better I, I don't mean that I don't mean to be that guy with just replacing coaches every time something goes wrong but penalties are directly an indictment on coaching especially the kind of penalties Houston is getting there was a handful of pre-snap penalties which is what happens when you're a poorly coached team because that means as you're setting up to run a play you're not sure about what you're like what you're supposed to do it's not a holding penalty which is kind of can sometimes be a discretion or a targeting penalty which can be like sometimes left to the discretion of like how hard was the hit how high low was the hit those kind of things those kinds of penalties unfortunately happen in the course of the play right those are things that are like frankly playing too hard or getting out of position or you know they practice too or playing high level competition etc those are penalties that kind of just unfortunately happen even if you are a good team right Alabama in their best years will have penalties Clemson in their best years will have penalties of that sort but what they won't have is the pre-snap lined up wrong or the pre-snap false start or the pre-snap jump off sides or the pre-snap doing all kinds of things wrong because you're not ready to play the next play. Those things seem to happen to bad teams or poorly coached teams. The other thing that happens to poorly coached teams, the thing that happens to teams like Houston right now, is two of their 10 penalties are personal fouls that happen after the play was over. Again, not during the course of the play, but happening after the play is over. We saw left tackle Patrick Paul just kind of like knee a guy that was starting to get up over the ground. You remember that play I'm talking about, right? Where like, he blocked the guy in the dirt, nice little pancake block, whatever. The guy starts to get up, and he just kind of like knees him in the ribs and knocks him back down, and it's a personal foul, and it's like, whoa, why do we get a personal foul there? We got a personal foul there because you need a guy in the ribs after play was over, dude. You, A disciplined team doesn't do those kinds of things. And frankly, it is too late in the year. We are eight games into this season. It is too late in the year to be like, oh, man, I can't believe we're still doing that. 
like Holgerson like even mentioned in the post game press conference like uh, the the penalties reared their heads again like dude that's on you and I, I I try to defend the guy when he does things right and I try to be fair but like listen there's a lot of worse options out there Holgerson's really not all bad but these kinds of things tend to happen to poorly coached teams and tend to keep happening to the Houston Cougars and so that's one thing that I am really really worried about looking to go on the road to a hostile environment like SMU next week because that's just up the road it's kind of a bit of a rivalry game Houston's leaving the Big 12 and SMU is very much still butthurt that they're not leaving for the Big 12 and so I gotta say that mm, that doesn't feel great and mm, I feel like they're gonna be upset about it and mm, I feel like at the end of the day that's going to be like one of those hostile things that leads to all these like situations where like tempers are flaring and then we get these personal foul penalties or in the pre-snap people are nervous because temp- tempers are flaring or whatever and that's when you jump offside. Those kinds of things will only happen more at SMU. And so we'll probably recap that this time next week. Thank you all so much for tuning in the show. Make sure you hit download and subscribe. Do wonderful things that help out the podcast. If you can find me on social media, talk about the Cougs. You can find me at Painsworth 512 That's P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H 512 on all forms of social media. Twitter is where I love to talk all things Cougs and Houston sports. Again, that's at Painsworth 512 P-A-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H 512. Thank you for making us your first listen of the day. Make sure you hit download, subscribe, so you can pop up in your feed to make us your first listen of the day tomorrow as well. If you're looking for a second listen of the day, let me recommend Locked On Astros. They're talking all things Astros as we're hoping for another World Series in Clutch City. So make sure you go follow Locked On Astros for your second listen of the day. Thank you all so much for subscribing and downloading, making us your first listen. Locked On Cougs is a member of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team, Every day we'll be back tomorrow to talk more about the Houston Cougars. Go Cougs!